Good morning, everybody. Hey, it is so good to see you guys. I've missed you so much, man. Wow, thank you. What a nice welcome home. That's, that's, that's awesome. You guys, uh, I can't tell you, thank you so much for uh, allowing myself and my family to have a, a bit of a break this past month. I had a terrific time on sabbatical, and this last week took some vacation time with my wife's family, and uh, it was just a great time of, uh, of reflection and refreshment, and did had some opportunity to get a bunch of extra studying and reading done that I don't normally have time for. It was a real blessing, but I will tell you this, man, I missed our church so much. Uh, I had the chance to visit some other churches while I was away, and just every Sunday morning came, and I felt like, man, there is just no place like home. Uh, Lakes Free is just such a special church, and, and uh, it's because of our people here. And so I'm so glad to be back, and uh, we're going to have a great morning worshiping together. I want to open our time in a word of prayer. Let's just dedicate this morning to the Lord, and then Chaz and our worship team are going to lead us in some great praise and worship. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for our church, for this chance to be gathered together to praise your name. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and all that you've done for us. We praise you for your faithfulness, for your amazing grace, for your overwhelming love. And Lord, today we just want you to be honored and glorified as we come together as a church family here in person, those with us online, to praise your name, to lift the name of Jesus high. And so, Lord, to you be all the honor, glory, and praise in your great name. Amen. Well, we want to invite you all to stand this morning as we begin our worship time.
Thank you so much, worship team. You may have received a communion cup on your way in this morning. Uh, If not, uh, our ushers could still get you one of those. We're going to be holding on to those until after our message today. Uh, For our communion meditation, we're going to uh, use our sermon this morning, which really is going to focus our hearts upon the ultimate gift of love, Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross. And so we're going to spend some time reflecting on that event together this morning and then celebrate communion together at the end of our worship service today. As we, uh, as we continue this morning, I just want to draw your attention to a few quick announcements. If you, uh, if you open your worship guide, you'll notice we have a lot of really uh, great stuff coming up here at Lakes Free in the coming weeks. Uh, first and foremost, want to uh, draw your attention to the upper box in the center of your worship guide, Prepare with Prayer. Uh, this is an important annual event that we uh, participate in here at Lakes Free every year as we head into our fall ministry season. And today is our Prepare with Prayer Sunday morning. I want to encourage you following our service today, during our second hour, we are going to be gathering downstairs in our Youth Center Commons for a time of worship, for a time of prayer, a time to dedicate our hearts to the Lord as we enter into this next year of ministry as a church. And so we would love for you to join us, our pastors, our elders, and others will be downstairs praying and just, again, asking God's blessing on our church as we head into this fall season and all of the great things that God's going to do here in our church family this next year. So that's going to be right after uh, this service downstairs in the Youth Center Commons. If you can't join us for Prepare with Prayer today uh, at 1030, you can pick up a prayer guide at the Next Steps desk on your way out today. We have some of the themes that we're going to be praying for uh, at Prepare with Prayer this morning there at the Next Steps desk, uh, a little card that you can take home with you, and, uh, and you too can join us in praying for our church and all of our ministries this next year. So thank you for your participation in that. Also, too, want to mention this coming Wednesday night, we've got a really fun event coming here, 7 o'clock Wednesday evening. A close personal friend of mine, John Byron, is going to be joining us for a night of story and song. Uh, John is one of my personal mentors. He had a huge influence on me when I was a young man in college and seminary, uh, when I was working at camps out in California, and uh, really became a dear friend. He is a tremendous musician, a a great speaker, and he's going to come and just bless us with some great songs, share some fun stories. So if you're looking for a fun family outing this Wednesday evening, I want to invite you to join us here in the worship center. Uh, We'll probably be here for about an hour, hour and a half or so, but I promise you it's going to be a great time. You're really going to enjoy uh, John and his his time of ministry with us. And then uh, also, too, want to remind you about this next Sunday, big day in the life of our church. We have our executive pastor candidate coming to join us. Uh, we have been searching this basically this whole past year for a new executive pastor to come and join us here at Lakes Free Church. And uh, we are so excited. The Lord has brought us a great candidate, a man by the name of Barry Holst. And next weekend, you're going to have a chance to both hear from him. He's going to bring the message for us next Sunday. But then following Sunday morning, he's going to stay after with us, uh, especially for those of you who are members. But, but all of you are welcome to join us. We're going to have a, a family meeting after church where you're going to have an opportunity to get to know Barry get to know his family, uh, ask some questions of him. And then as members, we're going to vote uh, to invite him to come and be one of our pastors here at Lakes Free Church. Well, I can just tell
tell you, we're so excited about, uh, about Barry. He's a man with just great background, great qualifications, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy getting a chance to meet him, hearing more about his heart for the Lord, his love for the church. And so uh, that's going to be next Sunday morning. Barry and his family are going to be here with us. So, so don't miss that. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you're interested, we have a personal profile of Barry available uh, also at our next steps desk that you can pick up this morning and uh, take a look at, uh, at Barry and his family. But uh, we're excited for that this next Sunday morning. Last thing I want to mention, outdoor baptism service coming up very soon. Outdoor baptism and barbecue, always one of the highlights of the year here at Lakes Free Church. If you're still interested in being baptized, we need you to let us know this week, okay? So if you've been thinking about baptism, contact Pastor Stephen this week. We need to know by this week if you're interested in baptism, and we would love to have you take that step of faith and obedience and be a part of that service with us. So please consider that. All right, well, I'm going to invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Let's ask God to turn our hearts to his word and the Holy Spirit to illuminate his truth for us this morning and bless us as we look to the scene of the crucifixion of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for the many good things happening here at Lakes Free Church. You're far too good to us, and we are just so blessed and appreciative of your grace and your abundant mercies and your, your faithfulness. Lord, as we now again turn to your word, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your truth for us this morning. Help me to communicate clearly and faithfully and, and humble us, Lord, before your word so that we might receive what you have to share with us this morning as we look to the, the penultimate event in all of history, the, the, the sacrifice of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, to bring us into eternal fellowship with you. Lord, thank you for that. We praise your name. And we commit this time of studying your word to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I'm, uh, I'm just so appreciative of the last few weeks and the, the great preachers that stepped in in my absence. Uh, so thankful for the job that Pastor Stephen did and Pastor Justin. And it was great to have Pastor Rick back with us again, as always. And uh, these guys did a great job leading us forward to today, to the scene of the crucifixion. Over the, over the last few weeks, we've been in John chapter 13 through 18, through 17 and 18, looking at the, the Last Supper and, and Jesus' final teachings to his disciples. We've seen Jesus' uh, pastoral prayer for his followers and for the future church. We saw how he was betrayed by Judas. We saw the apostle Peter fall away in denial of him. We've seen Jesus now be arrested and taken before Pontius Pilate to stand trial. And now today, today and, and next Sunday, we are going to look at the scene of Jesus' crucifixion. Today we find ourselves in John chapter 19, where Jesus Christ goes to the cross. We're going to look at this passage this morning and Tomorrow, and then next Sunday, Pastor Barry, who will be with us, will be finishing the crucifixion scene for us as he brings God's word to us. Well, this morning, as we begin to think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, 
I want to open by drawing our attention to an illustration that took place on July 19th of 1821. The coronation of the British king, King George IV. Now that name might sound familiar to you, King George, because his father, King George III, was the British monarch whom our founding fathers, the original American patriots, rebelled against in the Revolutionary War, leading to the formation of the United States of America. Well, when King George III passed away, his son, King George IV, in 1821, assumed the headship, the monarchy of the British Empire. And on July 19th of that year, they celebrated the most expensive, the most lavish, the most opulent coronation in all of British history when King George IV ascended to the throne. Now, you would have thought that a king presiding over an empire in decline, an empire that had just lost the entire North American continent, would have been a little bit more humble. But no, it was the most lavish and expensive coronation to this day in British history. The ceremony took place in Westminster Abbey, where seating was erected for over 4,600 guests, the service included an orchestra of 100 pieces and a 200-person choir. George's outfit for the day cost $3.3 million in today's denomination, today's currency. His outfit for the day. It included a 27-foot-long velvet robe still used in British coronations to this day. The new king's crown, made of solid gold and precious jewels, cost $6.9 million. Following the ceremony, a celebratory banquet was hosted at the cost of $3.4 million. It included 47 tables and over 1,200 guests. For you moms who have been planning graduation celebrations this summer, you can only imagine what an event that, that must have been. Overall, King George IV's coronation cost over $33 million for this one-day event. Friends, what a stark contrast from the coronation we find in our passage this morning. The coronation of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. King George received a crown of gold. Jesus received a crown of thorns. King George had a robe adorned with the finest embroidery. Jesus had a back adorned with the lashes of a torturer's whip. King George ascended a throne gilded with jewels. Jesus ascended a cross stained with criminal's blood. Yes, friends, Jesus received a very different kind of coronation from the kings of this world. And one of the most interesting features of the coronation of Jesus Christ that we find in our passage this morning is the one who announced his coronation to the world, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And one of the greatest ironies of history the one who would mock Jesus as the king of the Jews, as we'll see this morning, was unwittingly testifying to his ascension 
and his reign. We're in John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. I want to read our passage this morning, and then I want to come back and I want to focus, especially today, on the words of Pontius Pilate. We might call today's message the testimony of Pontius Pilate. This is John 19, verses 1 through 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Now, friends, while much could be said about our passage this morning, I want us to focus our attention today on the two central pronouncements of Pontius Pilate that we find in the Apostle John's record of these events. Pontius Pilate declares, Behold the man, and behold your king. We could call these declarations Pontius Pilate's testimony. And as we look at these two declarations, I want to draw our attention to three realities inherent in them. Three realities inherent in these declarations, behold the man, behold your king. The first thing I want us to recognize in Pilate's testimony this morning is that Pilate's declarations were really a prophetic testimony. They were a prophetic testimony. Now one of the greatest evidences for the authenticity of God's word are the many historical prophecies that we find reported and ultimately fulfilled within its pages. 
Some of the most exciting prophecies in the Bible have to do with God's foretelling, his, his promising the coming of a Messiah, a Savior, into this world. In his classic book on apologetics, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, the great apologist Josh McDowell, he reports that the Old Testament contains over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. Over 300 prophecies in the Bible. And incredibly, many of these prophecies were written hundreds of years prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. So we have over 300 prophecies pointing to Jesus as the Messiah found in the Old Testament, many of which were written hundreds, some even thousands of years prior to his arrival on earth. One of these incredible prophecies is found in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Let me read this passage for us. And the word of the Lord came to me, the prophet Zechariah. Take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now friends, did you catch any words that sounded familiar there in Zechariah's prophecy? Zechariah starts his prophecy Behold the man. Behold the man, Zechariah says. And interestingly, roughly 500 years later, Pontius Pilate would echo these very words when presenting Jesus to the people of Jerusalem. Behold the man. But friends, there's more to this prophecy than just that. You see, through the prophet Zechariah, God was painting a vivid picture of the nature of the coming Messiah. Let me explain some background to what we see in our passage this morning. The year was 520 B.C., and what was taking place at this time in Jerusalem was that the exiles, the people of Israel who had been taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire, they had spent 70 years in exile in Babylon, and now they had been returning to Jerusalem. They were rebuilding Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the walls. They had started to rebuild the temple. And three of these exiles had come from Babylon, Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah. And, and, and the word of the Lord comes to the prophet Zechariah, and he says to Zechariah, go to these exiles and take from them silver and gold. See, these exiles were coming back from Babylon, and they were bringing with them their wealth to help in the rebuilding process of Jerusalem. So these three exiles had apparently come with silver and gold that was going to be used by the Jews to help rebuild Jerusalem. But God says to Zechariah, we're not going to use their silver and gold for the treasury to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. I want you to take their silver and gold and make a crown. 
And you're going to take this crown and you're going to place it on the head of the high priest's son, Joshua. And so this is the background of this prophecy. Now please understand, friends, this would have been an incredibly dramatic scene for those who witnessed it. When, when, when this crown was fashioned and placed on the head of the high priest's son, the son Joshua, who himself was in line to become one of the high priests, one of the priests serving God in the temple of Israel, the crown being placed on his head, this would have been a dramatic act never before seen in the history of Israel. You see, there had never been a Levitical priest who wore the crown of a king. In the ancient land of Israel, these were two separate offices. You had priests and you had kings, but, but there was no notion, no concept of a king who was also a priest. But here, God tells Zechariah, place the king's crown on the priest's son's head. And in this act, what God was doing was he was foreshadowing the nature and the identity of the coming Messiah, the ultimate Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the one who would be our ultimate and true priest king. Zechariah goes on in this prophecy. He, he calls this one the branch the, the term the branch there is a title used throughout the Old Testament, a title used to refer to the royal lineage of the Messiah. He would be a branch springing forth from the line of King David. For example, in Jeremiah 23, 5, we read this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The branch that Zechariah was prophesying was the royal king to come, the Messiah from the line of David. Zechariah goes on in his prophecy. He says, he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now remember, the temple was already under construction at this time. So Zechariah wasn't talking about Joshua here, the one who is placing the crown on his head. The temple was already being built. Well, what temple was he talking about? He was talking about the spiritual temple that the Messiah would build. The Apostle Paul explains this for us in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Paul says, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Remember, Paul's talking about us here in this passage. He says, we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being our cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, this is all of us now, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is what Zechariah was prophesying. That the branch, this priest king, would build God's temple. The temple he was talking about was the spiritual temple of God's people. He was speaking about what Jesus would do in creating us, the church. Isn't this incredible? He, he goes on in the prophecy. He says, there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. What does this mean, that there is a priest on the king's throne? Again, that had never happened before. You, you mean this branch, this, this king, this, this one to come would be both king and priest? 
and there'd be a council of peace between them? What, what does that mean? Well, well in, in Zechariah's day, they wouldn't have had any concept of this. But we know what this means today because when Jesus came, he came as the ultimate priest king. He was the one who, who in him, these two offices were united. And as the king, Jesus, the Messiah, would mete out justice. As our priest, he would mediate grace. And of course, we know that Jesus fulfilled both of these roles in complete perfection. John tells us in John 1.14 that we have seen his glory. Glory from the Father, the one who came full of grace and truth. Jesus, our King, meets out justice. Jesus, our priest, mediates grace. And so he was the true priest king. Friends, isn't it incredible when you begin to study these prophecies in the Old Testament? All that we can learn about our Messiah, Jesus Christ. God had announced the coming of the Messiah 520 years before his arrival with the words, Behold the man! And now here today in John 19, we see Pontius Pilate declare to the Jews of Jerusalem, Behold the man! the one who would be their true priest-king, Jesus Christ. Friends, when you study these prophecies, what you begin to discover is history really is his story. God has orchestrated all of history. He has all of our days written before one of them came to be. There are no surprises for God. When God declares testimonies and prophecies about the Messiah 500 years before they come to pass, for God, he sees all of that in his eternal omniscient vantage point. And I tell you what, isn't that good news for us? Especially in these turbulent days, these days of unknown, these days of confusion, to know that we have a God who is omniscient, who is sovereign, who's in control of our history of all of our days. History, friends, is his story. Don't ever forget it. But the second thing we see in our passage this morning as we look at the testimony of Pontius Pilate, we discover that it's a profound testimony. It's a profound testimony. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you guys ever been in on an inside joke you know, an inside joke, it's a lot of fun, right? When, when, when a group of people kind of gets it, but there's somebody who doesn't get what's going on and everybody's kind of chuckling behind the scenes at what's going on. I remember, for example, a few months ago here at church on a Sunday morning, I, I got home from church and uh, I, I started realizing what had been happening that morning. All morning long, my kids have been coming up to me and, you know, Dad, we love you, we're so proud of you, and patting me on the back. And Well, I got home at the end of Sunday morning and I took off my, my shirt that morning and I discovered I had about 20 name tags, many of your names, on my back. And I had been walking around all Sunday morning without knowing. My kids were laughing at me. All their friends were laughing at me because they had been sticking name tags on my back all morning long. And I had been walking around looking like a fool, and they were laughing at me, right? You know what that's like, right? To be in on an inside joke, and, and you get you know, a good chuckle at somebody else's expense. Well, friends, understand, that's sort of what the Apostle John is doing in our passage this morning. The Apostle John is, is essentially letting us in on an inside joke today. You see, Pontius Pilate, he may not have understood what he was saying about Jesus here in our passage this morning, 
But John specifically highlights these statements. In fact, my friend Mickey Klink, who preached for us five weeks ago, one of the world's leading scholars in John, in his commentary, he actually argues the Greek construction of this passage actually was written in a way to specifically highlight these statements so that John's Greek readers would get the impression that he was almost winking at them. Don't miss this now, right? You're, you're in on something that he doesn't get. He's saying something. He doesn't realize what he's saying here. So he's winking at us, letting us in on this incredible irony in Pilate's statements. You see, John wants us to recognize just how packed full of meaning Pilate's statements really are. In fact, I would argue that nearly the whole of Christology, Christology, the study of Jesus Christ, can be summed up in these two declarations of Pilate. Behold the man. Behold your king. John was conveying some powerful truth by recording Pilate's testimony for us. Let's take a look at each of these statements a little bit more in depth this morning. Pilate declares to the Jews, Behold the man. Friends, let me ask you, have you ever reflected on just how remarkable it is that the Son of God left his glory in heaven to take on flesh, and become a human being. I mean, man, that'll blow your mind if you think about that and meditate on that for a while. During my sabbatical, I was reading from Max Lucado's recent book, his book titled Jesus, just came out this year. He shared this great devotional thought on the incarnation of Christ. He says, I'm watching a family of black-tailed squirrels. I should be working on a Christmas message, but I can't focus. They, they seem set on entertaining me. They scamper amidst the roots and the trees north of my office. We've been neighbors for three years now. They watch me peck at the keyboard. I watch them store their nuts and climb the tree trunks. We're mutually amused. I could watch them all day, and sometimes I do. But I've never considered becoming one of them. The squirrel world holds no appeal to me. Who wants to sleep next to a hairy rodent with beady eyes? <laughs> to give up the Rocky Mountains? and bass fishing, and weddings, and laughter for a hole in the ground and a diet of dirty nuts? Count me out, but count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansion would be a tree trunk to him. Earth's finest cuisine would be walnuts on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a squirrel with claws and tiny teeth and a furry tail... It's nothing compared to God becoming an embryo and entering the womb of Mary. Friends, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus leave his splendor and glory in heaven? Well, I think there are at least three reasons. As the man, Jesus came, number one, to be our representative. He came to be our representative. One of the popular exclamations in popular culture a few years back was, was the statement, you the man. How many of you guys have ever called somebody, you used that statement, right? You know, you hit a great shot in golf, you the man, right? Maybe not as popular anymore today, but a few years ago, everybody was saying it, you the man. But you know something, friends? There are only two individuals in all of history who can rightly claim that title as being given to them from God. God declared you to man to two people. He declared you to man 
to Adam, the first man. And he declared, you the man, to Jesus Christ, the second Adam. You see, both of these men were specially ordained by God to be the representatives of the entire human race. The Apostle Paul speaks to this in Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through 19, how these two men represented all of humanity in their actions. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. Two men. Two men who uniquely represented the entire human race. One in tragedy and one in triumph. See, when we read in the book of Genesis the story of the fall, we discover that Adam was given the authority to represent the entire human race in his choices. And God gave to Adam the keys to the bus of the human race. And Adam took that bus and he drove it off a cliff. And he ushered sin and death and decay into this world. The Bible calls it the fall, the curse. Jesus, as our second Adam, the second man, came and in his representation of the human race gave us the opportunity to be restored, to be redeemed, to be brought back into wholeness with our creator God. People sometimes will think, you know, well, Jason, it's, it's not fair. Like, why are we punished for what Adam did? I mean, why am I punished and have to live in this fallen, crummy world because of what Adam did? Friends, when you think about it, do you think you're any better than Adam? You think you would have done better? Adam was the most privileged man who ever lived. He lived in a world free of sin, a world free of death and disease. He walked with God in the Garden of Eden, and yet Adam fell into temptation. And Adam, as our first representative, fell on all of our behalf and brought sin and death into this world. It's very interesting when you read in Genesis 3.22 when God announces his curse on the world. You know the words God uses to introduce the curse? In Genesis 3.22, he says, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. God says of Adam, behold the man. And Jesus Christ, as he is ready to go to the cross, is declared once again, behold the man, the one who would make all things right. The first man, Adam, brought sin and death and alienation into the world. The second man, Jesus, brought forgiveness and life and reconciliation. How did he do this? Well, number two, as the man, Jesus, is our substitute. He's our substitute. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
You might recall in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus approaching. And John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, sees Jesus come and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This past week, my family and I were in vacation in Door County, Wisconsin. And one of our favorite places to go in Door County is a place called The Farm. It's an old farm that this family has turned into a tourist attraction and you can go and pay money and you can do chores around the farm and you can feed the animals around the farm. I mean, some of you think that's crazy, right? Like you guys are like, you, you mean you actually pay somebody else to work their farm and feed their animals? Well, yeah, I mean, when you're a, when you're a suburban kid from Eden Prairie, I mean, that's awesome, right? to go and feed the animals and play with the animals. And so anyway, we paid our 40 bucks and we go into the farm and we spent the day doing chores and feeding the animals and we had a blast. But here at the farm, they had this pen full of little sheep, these beautiful white little lambs. And I, I'm not kidding you, I got overcome with emotion as I was petting these, these beautiful little white lambs. And I kept thinking of John's words in my mind, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I kept thinking how many lambs had been sacrificed over the years. Hundreds of thousands, millions maybe, for the sins of God's people. But Jesus, knowing that no lamb could ever be the perfect substitute for our sins, Jesus came into this world as the perfect lamb of God, the, the spotless lamb of God, the one who would be our perfect substitute living a sinless life, perfectly representing us, laying down his life, paying the debt I owed, but which I couldn't pay. He went to the cross to forgive me of my sins. Thirdly, as the man, Jesus is our example. In 1 Peter 2, verse 21, the apostle Peter says, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You see, friends, when we look to demand Jesus Christ, we're seeing an example that God has given us of how he wants us to live. You might recall back in John chapter 13, Jesus said to his disciples, a new command I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you. By this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another. Rick, I was so thankful for, for Pastor Rick's message a few weeks ago, where Jesus in his priestly prayer for his people prayed that they would love one another. That's our call. Jesus has given us the example. He's our model. He says the world will know us by our love for one another. Not, not by our arguments and politics and, and not by our, you know, all of our persuasions and whether we're pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine or pro-mass or anti -mass. No, Jesus says the world's going to know you're mine by your love for one another. Friends, are we living in humility before the Lord, seeking to follow the example that he has set for us? that we might sacrifice our desires, our wants, our privileges for the sake of loving one another. But you see, Jesus is more than just the man. Pilate goes on and he declares of Jesus, behold your king. Behold your king. As the king, Jesus, number one, is our Lord. 
What does it mean that Jesus is our Lord, friends? Well, he gives us some insight to this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. There Jesus says to his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? What does it mean to call Jesus Lord? To call Jesus Lord, friends, means to be obedient to him. It's more than just speaking words. It's about humbling ourselves before him, recognizing that he is in charge of our lives. We become obedient to him in our values, our priorities, our mission. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord. And this is what God has always called his people to do to live in obedience. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, all the way back in the Old Testament, God said the same thing. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Friends, God has always wanted his people to submit to him and to acknowledge him as Lord. And that means we live and walk and follow him in obedience. He's the boss, not me. Secondly, as the king, Jesus is also our provider. See, he's a good king. And as a good king, he provides for his people. He, he doesn't ask of us and not provide Right? He, he doesn't say, look, call me Lord, I want you to be obedient, but then I'm not going to give you the provision in order to do that. No, he's a good king. He provides for his people. In John 17, we saw how Jesus, John 14, 15, 16, 17, all those passages speak of Jesus' provision. He provides for us the Holy Spirit, the helper, he says, who will come, He says the spirit in you is even going to be better than the Jesus beside you, as we saw in our summer ABF study, right? The Holy Spirit coming within us empowers us to live in obedience, to do the will of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit's help and enabling that allows us to carry these things out. And God does this to us because he's a good king. He provides for his people. He gives us the resources we need. Thirdly, as the king, he's our judge. He's our judge. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Friends, as the fountainhead of truth and righteousness, he alone is the sole arbiter of right and wrong. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And therefore, he is the judge. I had a woman call me a couple months ago here at church, and she was asking, these were her very words, she said, my, my daughter and her wife are moving to your community, and I'm looking for a church for them, and I want to know if your church is welcoming and affirming. My daughter and her wife. Well, I said to this woman on the phone, I said, with as much love and compassion as I could, I said, well, ma'am, I, I hope that we would be a welcoming church. We try to be a, a welcoming community for, for all who come and join us for worship. But I said, when it comes to affirming, we, we might have a difference of opinion on this one. 
And I explained to her that as a a Bible-believing church, we believe that God's teachings on human sexuality omits the possibility of same-sex relationships. And she said, "Well, well, who are you to judge? I said, man, please understand, it's not me who's judging your daughter and her wife. It's not our church who's making this judgment. It's Jesus. He's the judge. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. It's Jesus who has spoken on the issue of human sexuality and what's proper for men and women. It's not me who judges, friends. It's Jesus who is our judge. And so we look at Jesus and we look at these statements of Pontius Pilate we discover We see this prophetic testimony. We see this profound testimony and all that it means. Behold the man. Behold your king. And this leads me, number three, to our final point. Pilate's testimony is a provocative testimony. Why is it provocative? Because, friends, just as these words did 2,000 years ago, Pilate's declarations still demand a response from us today. Behold the man. Behold your king. How will you respond to those words? How will you respond to Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ to you today? When you look at Jesus and the claim that he is the man, when you look at Jesus and and the claim that he is the king, All of us have to ask the question, who is Jesus to me? Friends, I want you to know this morning, there's a day coming when the whole world will once again declare, behold the man, behold the king. They'll hear those words declared loud and clear. No one will miss them. No one will fail to recognize them. Jesus will be revealed in all his glory. A call from heaven will cry out, Behold the man, behold the king. That day is coming, friends. We see what's happening in our world, and that day may be coming very soon. And I'm going to tell you something this morning, friends. What is that day going to look like? Jesus tells us, Matthew 25, 31 through 32. He says, When that day comes... Son of man's going to appear in all his glory and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep are those who have trusted in him and followed his voice and the goats are those who chose against Jesus. And when that day comes and that separation takes place, the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Philippians that on that day as the sheep are separated from the goats that every knee is going to bow before Jesus. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And friends, on that day, you're going to be in one of these two camps. You're going to be with the sheep. You're going to be bowing in humility and in love, rejoicing in the presence of your king. Or you're going to be with the goats, bowing in your rebellion. But there will be no mistaking on that day who is the king. What do you say about Jesus this morning, friends? Behold the man. Behold 
your king. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these powerful words. We thank you that even through a fallen sinful vessel like Pontius Pilate, you declare the glory of your son as the man, our representative, our substitute, our example, as our king, the one who is our Lord, our provider, our judge. Lord, I pray that no one here this morning, no one watching online would miss out on the profound reality of who you are and all that you've done for us, providing a sacrifice of atonement to bring us back into your presence, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace that's found in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things today in your name. Amen. Friends, there's no greater illustration of what we've just proclaimed this morning than to come together to the Lord's table and celebrate communion. I'm going to invite you this morning to take your cup and prepare the bread and prepare the juice. Our worship team is going to lead us in a time of prayerful reflection. And during this time, I want you to focus your hearts on that question, who is Jesus to me? Behold the man. Behold your king. When we take this wafer in our hands, we're reminded of Jesus taking on flesh. When we drink this cup, we're reminded of the blood he shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, we invite you to join us in reflecting on all that this means. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'd encourage you to turn to him as your Savior and Lord. And join us for the first time celebrating communion, knowing that you too have been forgiven as a child of God. I'm going to invite our worship team to lead us in some prayerful reflection, and then I'm going to come up and lead us in taking the elements.
1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your faithfulness, for your amazing grace. We thank you for the body and blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our priest, our King, the one who was our representative, our substitute, bringing us back into fullness of life in a relationship with you. God, we thank you. Jesus, Messiah, we praise your name. To you belongs all the honor, glory, and praise. Amen. Friends, would you join and stand us for our final song this morning?
Behold the man. Behold your king. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, I want to invite you again today to join us for Prepare With Prayer following our service downstairs in the Youth Center. God bless you. Have a terrific week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.